Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this new episode of the Mindful Steward podcast. I just finished recording an episode with Andrew Duraya. He is a co-owner of a clothing company here in the greater Toronto area called Threads of Dreams. It is a clothing brand that has a whole variety of different products, but it's also dedicated to promoting overall perseverance and motivation and just the self-awareness that you can really achieve anything that you're willing to put your mind to as long as you're dedicated enough to put the hard work in to get there. So um, he's a really growth-oriented person. We had a great conversation. He has a really good story uh, about his past. He's In high school, he had a lot of success with soccer and ended up going to the States for a scholarship and eventually um, trying out for some professional teams in Europe. And other than that, I'm not going to give away the whole story, but I'll let him tell it uh, in the episode. So one more thing that I forgot to mention is that if you haven't had a chance to actually check it out yet, my website does have the free downloadable mindfulness resources now. So there's two eBooks that I created there. There's a list of content that I read last year that was my favorite stuff. And there's a guided meditation with Michelle Pound, who my most recent episode was with. And likely, I'm going to be creating more guided meditations with her, uh, some other cool resources with other people, and I'm just going to keep sending them out to everybody who has signed up. So sign up for that if that sounds like something that would interest you, and otherwise, I'll get this episode started. can come to terms with you know not really worrying about the opinions of others and just representing who you are then at the end of the day it really doesn't matter because we are who we are and there's no point in changing to try and please or try and impress people we don't even know right like I don't know probably anyone who's listened to this podcast you have a lot of listeners but I personally probably don't know any of them right so at the end of the day for me to worry about if they think that I'm saying something you know that's not right or they don't like how I, you know, have an opinion about something, then, you know, I can't really worry about that because you can't control that at the end of the day. You just kind of have to be yourself and be authentic about it. Yeah. That's how I feel. So I agree. Have you always thought that way? No, I haven't always thought that way. So like in high school, especially I was like, I've always been kind of like an introvert. And I've, I've gotten out of that as I've, I've moved up because I realized like you have to network with people, you have to build relationships, you got to kind of get out of your own comfort zone. But in high school, especially like I was into sports and honestly, that was the only reason I think that I had friends because I played soccer and I was a decent player. Um, otherwise, I was pretty shy. And if I like, you know how it is when you play sports in high school, you kind of you're on a little bit of a different pedestal. Um, and so I wasn't, I wasn't cool, so to speak, but I had friends because I was in the athletic realm and, but back then I was worried about, you know, what should I wear? You know, how should I talk? How should I be? You know, I was kind of in that zone of how are there, how are other people going to think that I'm portraying myself? And it was actually affecting me because I was worried about constantly looking in the mirror, for instance. Constantly had to fix my hair. You can ask any of my friends. Was always in the mirror trying to fix my hair, trying to fix this. And, you know, maybe it's because, you know, you're going through a little bit of puberty in high school. So, like, also you got those kind of genes going and everything. But at the end of the day, it was, like, me more worried about what are other people going to think of me and how are they going to, you know, think of how I'm talking, how I'm acting, what I'm wearing. So that kind of, for me, was a time when I was just focused on other people rather than myself. Um, and then when I got to university and I started to realize that, you know, as I grew and as I got through the years, I realized that people don't actually care as much. Like you're, I'm not that important for people to actually be assessing me and thinking about me on a daily basis and, and what I did the other day or what I said the other day, then it started to be a lot less impactful on me. And I realized that I just kind of need to be myself and the people that gravitate towards what I believe in and who I am are the people that I'm going to connect with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, high school is such an awkward age too. For sure. Like my, my story is so similar in, in, for the high school thing as well, but I was a really shy guy growing up. I really was. And the same thing, I had a lot of friends because I played sports. And 
um, high school in particular. Uh, so your sport was soccer. I played a lot of soccer too, but my sport, if I had to say my thing that I was obsessed with, was snowboarding. Okay. And I grew up in a city that isn't really known for snowboarding at all, but it was this rare situation where there was a hill in the middle of the city and the hill is so small that it actually really sucks, but you don't need a, a big hill to have good jumps and rails. Okay. So it was this weird combination of the hill being so small that the only thing you would could do there is ride rails and ride park. And also the fact that every kid had access to actually go every single day. That happens almost nowhere. Usually kids grow up going on weekends. Right. Um, so all my friends were from all different schools. So I didn't really connect with that many people in high school. Looking back, I met a lot of people, but I didn't have that many really close friends in high school. And yeah, I think it made me self-conscious at the time, probably. But I had, I mean, this is a good segue maybe into you kind of telling your story about soccer and everything. But with, with snowboarding, it was like the one part of my life where I didn't worry about any of that. I just snowboarded as much as I could and I, I filmed a bunch of stuff and I tried to make it my own taste of snowboarding. It's kind of like skateboarding in that sense where you do, you create a part uh, or you do tricks with your own style. It's very much a style thing. Everyone rides in a different way. And it gave, I kind of got my fix of everything from snowboarding. Like I had my friendships there. I had everything else there. And I really didn't like school. I was in university at the time too really didn't like school, wasn't engaging with it, wasn't really meeting tons of people there either uh, because I was just obsessed with snowboarding. And then I had this injury that just took me out of it. And I basically finished school and I was about to move out west to give it another go and really try and just go, you know, 12 hours a day snowboarding, everything revolving around snowboarding and try and basically... I don't think I admitted it at the time, but I wanted to go pro. That's what a bunch of my other friends were doing. And then I tore my ACL. And it was this really rude awakening where it was like, okay, that literally can't happen now. Not saying you can't come back from ACLs, but snowboarding is such a fast-moving sport that hmm. the momentum's gone. Right. There's so many kid people who have surpassed you, and it's really hard to catch up. But, uh, yeah, and it really forced me into this point where I actually had to think about everything and I was like oh my god I can't talk to people like I have to figure out how to get over that um, I don't have any of these skills that will get me into the lifestyle and the jobs that I want uh, so that's pretty much how it happened to me you know that's how I got into all of this stuff it was really it's such a weird thing you know to go from just being a snowboarder and literally feeling like such a snowboard bro type guy and not caring about anything but snowboarding. And now I'm here and I love learning. I read books constantly. I create podcasts and talk to people about this kind of stuff for fun. It's like my favorite thing to do. So it's like a full 180. Yeah. But, but I'm really curious to hear your story. I know you kind of briefly told me it um, over email, but I think there's some, some good stuff to share there. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, you know, me being kind of aware of what other people were thinking of me when I similar to how when you were snowboarding when I stepped on the field it was you know it was I was just worried about what I thought about my performance and how I could develop myself as a player I wasn't so much worried about what other people thought other than the instructions and learning that my coach would give me because I always wanted to grow and I knew I didn't know everything uh, especially at a young age even when sometimes you feel undefeated undefeatable and unbeatable you know that at the end of the day, like you don't, you don't know everything. There's people with more experience than you, so you have to listen and learn. And for me, soccer started at a very young age. Like I started playing soccer when I was, you know, I mean, I started kicking the ball from as young as I can remember in the backyard, but I started actually playing when I was probably five or six. Um, my dad was my very first coach. Um, it was on like a youth, obviously like house league kind of team. Um, and my first game, I remember I came right out of the gate and I scored six goals in my first game. Um, and it was a hell of a game, but something I did actually got me in trouble with my dad as a coach. So we were winning the game five, nothing. And I remember this clear as day. I know, you know, there's things that you don't always remember when you're a kid, but this is something I remember clear as day. 
we were winning five nothing, and there was a teammate of mine that was kind of on like a semi breakaway, um, and I basically took the ball from him and scored for our team. So obviously right away my dad yanked me off the field, and he said you can't do those kind of things. Like this is your teammate, and I was under the impression that I should take the ball because I was thought I was going to be guaranteed to score. And maybe he wasn't going to score. And I wanted to make sure the team was going to get a point. And from that point on, it was like I knew I was playing a team game. But, you know, maybe at the age of six, I didn't have the mental capacity to understand that, you know, everyone is contributing a certain amount. It's not just all about me. Right. And that was I learned that from a very young age because I know that, you know, you can even look at the professional game in certain sports and you'll see guys that maybe are more selfish than other guys and they're not as much playing for the team as they are um, than other guys on the team and that's something I learned at a young age about you know kind of it's not about me it's about the team and it's about me giving the best of what I can so the team can be successful so that was kind of how I started my soccer journey and obviously I got into it because my dad was huge into soccer and he was a soccer player and so he coached me throughout you know a lot of years of my youth um, and then as I developed, when I, as soon as I entered high school, I knew that I wanted to go to the States and, and try and get a scholarship and play, uh, in NCAA. And, um, my thing was I wanted to play NCAA D- division one or it was nothing. Uh, I didn't want to play any lower level. That was just me. That was my goal. I was either going to stay in Canada or play division one in, in the States. Um, and I was a pretty good student, so I, I had good grades so I could get into, you know, a majority of schools. Um, so during my high school career, um, basically I was playing for Toronto Lynx. So I was in and out of the city all the time and they were a travel, travel team. So we'd go to the States often. We, you know, we went to things like Dallas cup. We went to, you know, uh, showcases called Jefferson cup in Virginia. And that's really where, um, myself and the other players started to make some noise and get noticed by college coaches. Um, and unfortunately my first injury came right before my senior year. Um, so I was actually, I actually got hurt playing high school soccer. Um, a lot of people actually told me, including my coaches, not to play high school and to focus on the rep level that I was playing outside oh, really? of high okay. school. What high school did you go to? I went to Notre Dame in Burlington. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they told me to, you know, not so much play high school soccer because of the fact that I should focus on the higher level that I was playing outside of there. And there was the thing with high school is back in the day, now they have a lot of turf fields everywhere. Back in the day, we were playing on grass fields that weren't always kept up to date. Um, the level wasn't as high in high school soccer. So there was more risk of obviously getting injured. Um, and I was playing a high school game and I ended up getting, the ball was bouncing. I was trying to control it. And I don't think the other player was trying to injure me. They were just trying to win, win the ball. And it kind of just happened. They, they came through me from the side and kind of took out my left knee. Um, and during the moment I felt it, but I kept playing because it was hurting, but I just, there was only five minutes left in the game. So I kind of was just trying to run it off with momentum. As soon as the game finished, my knee like swelled up like a melon. I couldn't walk on it. And this was the first like real injury that I had to deal with. And I wasn't sure what it was. I was Googling like my knee swollen. It hurts when I walk upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. And then it just would the swelling wouldn't go down. So we had to go, obviously, to the doctors, get an MRI, all that stuff. And it ended up that I had torn my meniscus on both sides. Um, and it was a bad tear. So they said, because usually when you tear your meniscus, they can either repair it internally or they can cut it out and remove your meniscus completely. So in my case, they had to remove part of my meniscus because the tear was so bad that they couldn't actually repair it internally. Oh, man. So this was obviously right before my senior year, which is the most important year to get actually an offer to go to a D1 school. So now I kind of hit a wall where I was worried about not being able to achieve that goal that I'd set, you know, three years earlier. Um, so I was kind of, I guess, I, I don't want to say depressed, but I was a little bit sad. I was down. I didn't know. I'd never been injured like this before, so I didn't know how I would come back from it. Um but really what I did is I went into to see the surgeon and by luck, I guess that's why they say everything happens for a reason. When I went in to see him to review the results, he said that he had a cancellation. So he had a surgery the next day at noon if I wanted to come in wow. and get the surgery done. Because normally it's like 
normally several months months so yeah. and by the time it would have happened after months i would have still been recovering and wouldn't have actually had a chance to even play before my senior year was done so the fact that he just was like yeah we have a cancellation do you want to get the surgery tomorrow at noon <laughs> so i'm sitting there and i'm with my my mom and i'm thinking okay yeah like i have to get the surgery i don't want to wait i was kind of scared i'd never had surgery and stuff before i knew i had to go under and all this stuff so um, it was a little bit freaky for me to start, but I was like, I have to do it. I want to try and get better and I want to get back on the field. So I did it, went through the surgery, did all my recuperation, physio, stuff like that. And I came back about uh, four months later and I came back just in time to go to Dallas cup, which was in April of my senior year. And now at this point, a lot of players that I knew had already gotten offers. Most people get offers in the first semester, like between September to December of their senior year. I was late, but I was still giving it a shot because I still had time. And a lot of schools have already signed up their spots, et cetera, et cetera. So I go to Dallas Cup and I emailed a bunch of college coaches trying to get them to come out to watch me play. And a couple of them responded saying they would be there. They would, they would watch me play. So I go to Dallas, we play our first game, and I go to the hotel lobby after the game. I check my email, and I have an email from a coach who saw me play in the first game. He said he really liked how I played. He liked my performance. He was going to take another look at me throughout the rest of the group games and make a final decision on how I would fit into the mold of his team. So obviously, I was really excited, played the next two games, did very well. Our team didn't actually go through the group because Dallas Cup is probably one of the top tournaments in North America. Um, but I did well personally in the team. We did well. We competed. We never got blown out by anyone. And so at the end of the third game, I was in talks with this coach and he invited me to come down for a visit, said he thought I would fit in well with the, with the team. And, you know, he wanted me to come down, meet some of the guys on the team, see the facilities, all this kind of stuff. So I got super excited. This was a D1 offer. I had a couple other Canadian schools that I was talking to that had seen me play prior that um, wanted me to, to, to play for them if I was going to stay in Canada. But again, as I mentioned, my main goal was to, to try and play Division One. So I ended up going on this visit, training with uh, the Michigan Bucks, who is like their professional development league team, because in Division One you can't actually... It's against the rules to train with the actual team unless you're signed and you're a player of the team. Oh, so if you're a recruit, you can't do that. Yeah. So they had me train with the professional development league team that they have in the area there. And the coach was there obviously watching me again. I did very well. And long story short with that one, I ended up getting an offer to go to the university and getting a scholarship to go there. That was Oakland University and I was in Michigan. So I had a few other offers throughout this process because we went to a few other showcases, a couple from Division II schools, and one or two contacted me from Division Three as well. So I had some options, but this was my main Division One option, so I, I took it without even thinking, um, and I was super stoked about it. Trained all summer and showed up at preseason. We had a bunch of fitness tests, did very well. First exhibition game, I was going to be starting in in the lineup for the first exhibition game of the preseason um in warm-up on my own accord we were actually doing a shooting drill to warm up and i struck the ball with my left foot and as soon as my my foot planted back on the field i heard a pop in my same knee that i had had surgery to like a year ago or less than a year ago oh, at this you point heard the pop so yeah that means so as soon as that happened I felt so much pain in my knee and I tried to play it off because I, I just wanted to play so bad. But our trainer noticed me kind of limping and as I was jogging through the rest of the warm up, so he asked me, he's like, come over here. So I went over there and he's like, why are you limping? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I just tweaked my knee a little bit, but I'm fine. I was, I was really trying to play it off, but I knew like something was wrong because it was severely hurting. So our trainer was a really good guy. He asked me to, he's like, okay, if you're good, do a sprint for me down the line real quick before the game starts. So I do a sprint, try and do a 10 yard sprint and I can't even make it a yard or two without pulling up on my left side. So he tells me, you're not playing, come over here. We got to assess you. And at all the games they had uh, like a surgeon there. So the surgeon came, assessed me. 
he said he thought there was some damage, but he wasn't sure we had to run some tests. So luckily in the States, everything happens real fast. Um, they had me doing an MRI the next day. And of course, when the results came back, it was the worst possible news ever. I had again torn the meniscus on both sides, medial and lateral, and I'd also torn my MCL. Okay. okay. So I was, uh, basically my knee was shot, um, for another long while I was on the sidelines. I was going to need to require surgery again because, uh, I had torn all these things inside my knee. So that was, a a bit of a, another negative point in my life because I just gotten this scholarship. I was trying to prove myself in the team and I'd gotten hurt again. So it's one of those things that you just go through and you think, okay, I've been hurt. I've come back from it. Now I'm hurt again. And this one's a little bit worse actually, because I've torn multiple things now. So, you know, you kind of have that mindset, like, is this it? Am I going to be able to come back from this? when it first happens, of course. Um, and you kind of struggle with that a little bit. And with scholarships, it's a bit worrisome because they're one year. You only get the scholarship for one year. So I had a scholarship for the first year, and then obviously you have to earn that scholarship again as a second year. And if you can't play and you're still injured, you, you're not going to get that, especially as an international student. Yeah, no doubt. So that was definitely a, a tough time for me. Um and a struggle, obviously, but I committed myself to just trying to bounce back, doing my best, doing the physio, doing everything that they said um, to get back in the best possible shape that I could get in. And the program was good. They had good medical staff. So they had me getting surgery like again. And this this time it wasn't by luck. It was because they they could get me in really quickly because it was a, a good program. So they got me in within two or three days. I was I was having surgery and one thing was that after the surgery, the surgeon actually came and he was, you know, my dad was there, my mom was there. They came and made sure I was okay during the surgery. And the surgeon was actually saying after the surgery, he's like, I don't know even how you're playing. And I was kind of confused. I was like, what are you talking about? I had surgery. I had my knee cleaned up. He said, no, uh, whatever happened in the last surgery, you know, it wasn't done properly. There was pieces of your meniscus floating around in your knee. Your knee was, your knee was a mess. And this wasn't just from injury you just had, like this was ongoing. And I had pain in my knee when I was playing, but I thought it was normal. I thought, okay, I had surgery. My knee's probably going to hurt forever. I just have a bad knee now. Yeah. Yeah. But actually there was some, I guess, debris and stuff like that left over my knee that wasn't cleaned up properly. So it actually led to the the worsening of the injury. Oh shit. Yeah. So I know you can relate with the, with the knee injuries. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a bad time to hear that, but you know, he had said, you know, I cleaned it up. You should be all good. It's just going to take time to recover. So that was kind of, uh, you know, eye opening for me. The fact that I mean, I thought the whole time, okay, my knee's just always going to hurt. And he said, no, your knee's not going to hurt forever. Like you can actually get your knee back and, you know, recuperate it and you have the potential to not feel that pain anymore and be even stronger than ever. So it's kind of a bit of a, obviously it was a negative time, but it was a bit of an uplifting moment for the future. Um, and I had good support from my family and my friends and obviously we had good training staff, so I didn't do it myself, but I, I was able to come back and get fit again, get back into the team and start playing again and that was really when I started enjoying the game a lot more because I'd gotten over these injuries and now I wasn't feeling pain anymore either when I was playing and I also felt stronger I felt better than I did before the injuries before even the first injury the first surgery that I had so it was kind of sorry didn't mean to cut you off no no worries I mean it's interesting because a lot of people say that uh they have knee surgeries and they bounce back and they take physio so seriously and they do all the isolated exercises where you're just doing one leg strengthening and then they come back and they say that they feel stronger than they ever did it's a really common thing it's so interesting yeah so for me it was yeah it was just like that I felt stronger than I ever did before and I really had the drive to at this point, I wanted to do something with soccer, like with my life, kind of like how you mentioned, you wanted to take snowboarding to the professional level. 
I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, okay, I achieved this goal of getting to this stage that I wanted to. Why can't I go a step higher? Um, so that's kind of what helped drive me along with my support that I had along the way. And it helped get me to, to where I wanted to be. And then, so sorry, my soccer story is a little long, but basically what happened then is I kind of encountered another obstacle because I was at the university, I'd come back, I was stronger, I started to play, but every player wants to play game in, game out. And that's just how it is. Um, I'm sure any athlete wants to always be on the field, wants to always be, be playing. And for me, in the beginning, when I'd come back in my second year, I wasn't, I wasn't starting, I was being, in my eyes, I was being overlooked in terms of my ability. And at the end of the day, it's up to the coach. And I respected that. So I just continued to work as hard as possible. But games went by, I think six, seven games went by before I even got a shot to play in that second year when I was back and I was fit and I felt great. And the only reason I got a shot to play was because the guy in my position had actually ended up getting a red card in the game. And we were actually hosting the number one team in the nation. At the time, it was the first time our university had ever hosted a number one team in the nation. So I went into this game. We're already losing the game. Now we're down a man and we're playing the number one team in the nation. So and I knew I knew that if I didn't perform in this game, that was it. I was I was going to be on the bench again. And once the suspension was up for the other player, he was going to get the starting position back. That's just how it is. It's fierce competition. But. I went in there confident knowing that I could do it. And, you know, I had obviously we had a good team around us. We ended up losing the game. But honestly, up to that point in my career might have been the best game that I played. So that from my coach helped me build a rapport with him. And I started becoming an actual key member of the team. We went on to win the conference that year and we went on to go and compete in NCAA championships. So that was a was a great year for me. And I actually ended up for a variety of reasons. One, I was trying to go to a better academic school. I ended up transferring universities. So I went to another university, another Division One university in New York, actually, for, like I said, I was trying to get another academic program. But two, I was trying to enter uh, a soccer program that kind of fit more with the, my style of play. Um, and it was a tough decision for me because I had a lot of good friends at the university and a lot of good guys on the team and you know they've done a lot for me but for me it was the it was the best decision for my personal development as a player so I made the decision to to move to a school in New York and basically from there I played at in in that school for the next two years and I graduated with my bachelor's in psych and that was when I made the decision because I'd grown as a player to try and go and play professionally. So I had one year of eligibility because I got hurt in my first year. So I had a medical redshirt for my first year. So technically I was able to come back for a fifth year, but I graduated in my fourth because I was on track with all my schoolwork. So without telling anyone, because obviously eligibility reasons, if you try and be a professional, you can affect your eligibility for playing that fifth year. So without, oh, without okay. telling anybody, I bought a one-way ticket to go to Europe. And I actually went to Norway because in my first university, I met a Norwegian guy who played on the soccer team and lived in Norway. And he basically was going to act as my agent in Norway. So with his help, we were able to get a professional trial. So I bought a one-way ticket, plane ticket to Norway, and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going here. I'm, I'm fully fit. I'm ready. I'm going to try and play professionally. And when I got there, everything was great. I had the trial with this with the first team. They were in the first division in, in Norway. And the trial was going well. I was there for a few days. And then the team was traveling to the north of Norway for a game, so they weren't going to be around. So either I could stay around the facilities, but there would be no, no real team to train with, or I could go and, and obviously go on my own and do something else, right? So the team wanted me to kind of stay around, but 
uh, my friend Rob, shout out to Rob for actually getting me another trial. He was didn't want me to sit around. He wanted me to go to another team. And obviously, if you have interest from multiple teams, you can potentially get a better contract. So I ended up going to another team. And what happened is, obviously, when you're in these environments, nobody's really friendly because you're competing for money here. You're taking food off someone's table, right? There's only a certain amount of spots that somebody can have when they're actually playing on a professional team. Yeah, so it's intense. I, I, I can picture that. Yeah. So when I went there, the first training with the new team, there was kind of some tension between myself and another player. Um, not verbally, but you could just kind of sense it. Tackles were coming in hard and we were ended up playing a scrimmage and he ended up tackling me poorly from behind and I ended up hurting my same knee. Now, I wasn't sure how bad or what the extent was of the injury, but I couldn't walk on it. It was swollen again. And I ended up sitting in my friend Rob's house for about the next two weeks because I could barely walk on my left knee. So now I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I can try and come back from this, try and get another contract here and, you know, maybe make it and continue to play in Norway or or you never know, go somewhere else. But I'm also thinking I'm one tackle away from retirement. And with all these injuries, it kind of just set my mind that maybe this isn't the path for me. Maybe I need to go a different route. And I had, like I mentioned, I had one more year left in university. So I had the opportunity to do a master's degree. So what I ended up doing in those two to three weeks that I was just kind of sitting there by myself I didn't really have too many people to talk to because my friend at the time was obviously working. So he was gone all day working his full-time job. And I was kind of just there by myself trying to make a decision of whether I try and pursue this and not worry about, you know, being injured and not having much to fall back on or actually trying to go get this master's degree from the same university and play another year there and just kind of finish out my career there. And all my friends there that I'd met were actually one year behind me because when I came in and transferred, they were actually graduating the next year. So the team was still good over there. I had a lot of friends over there and I kind of just made the decision after, you know, a lot of talk with myself, a lot of talk with my parents back home. I made the decision that I was going to go back home and I was going to continue to play for another year there and, but get my, my, my graduate degree and see kind of where it, where it takes me from there. I still had the option to try and go pro after that if I really wanted to. Um, so that's kind of where I where I left off. And I got so into the whole marketing world because that's what I studied with my grad program that I realized that this was something I really want to do. So I kind of want I kind of switched gears and wanted to pursue that. And I knew that soccer was always going to be a part of my life. But people always think of being a professional athlete as you know having millions of dollars and being famous and all this stuff that like the big teams like players on Manchester United and Real Madrid but when you're actually trying to become a professional it's not like that at all there's a lot of these lower leagues where you're not making a lot of money you you don't have that kind of that kind of fame and I was never looking for the fame I was kind of just doing it for the passion of the game but I did want something that was going to be able to support myself and sustain myself for the long term And with soccer, you don't have a very long career because you age out of it. So if I wasn't able to make enough money to even really support myself while I was playing it, it was going to be difficult for me once I was done. What was I going to do after that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what made me made me switch gears. And that's when I got into the whole corporate marketing world. Interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, Like that story just is so similar. Like when I visualize all the thoughts that must've been going through your head, same kind of thing for me. Um, I'm not trying to turn this back to me, but like I, I basically, um, decided to go to university right off the start when I was kind of debating whether I should just immediately move somewhere and go for it. Um, and I decided to go to school, but then like you were saying that you still had the option to go for it later. I finished my degree and that's when I was going to go for it. Cause I was like, I still want to do this. Um, my other buddy who did the high school route actually turned pro. So, um, I saw it working and I was like, I have to do this, but in the long term, you really have to assess what you want for yourself, you know? And that really was a huge factor. It was like, 
snowboarding is a lot like that. Like very, even way more so than soccer. You know, very few pro snowboarders right. get paid well. It's like Sean White, Mark McMorris. It's like the guys you people right. who don't even snowboard know of. Those are the only people who really get that kind of money. Um, but yeah, I find it so interesting because this is the same with you. It's the same with, I have a lot of different friends who the story is really similar. Um, but actually I'll relate this to another buddy of mine. So I, I have a buddy, Dale, him and I were just chatting. Um, probably he'll be the next episode I do, but, uh, he's a really spiritual dude, really into just growth oriented mindset. He's always trying to better himself. He lives a really good lifestyle, just full of like love and passion for all the hobbies and people around him. Really good guy. But he, like most people, got thrown down that path through just traumatic shit happening to him. Um, his wasn't really traumatic, but he almost died. He had a near-death experience. Wow. And a lot of people get really self-analytical, you know. to They become self-aware because they are really deeply thinking about what they want for themselves, who they are, how, how their, their mental habits affect them and how it's actually helping them or acting as a detriment and um usually those people have been through some shit but i think your story similar like mine is not really like that it's just that through sports you experience so much awesomeness and so much goodness really that when that stage of your life was over you're just contemplating how to get back to that and it's it's true it's like you've experienced basically what success is you've just experienced success in the form of a sport but there is that life success where you have this lifestyle and you have this abundance that is just awesome, you know? And I think people who have done well in sports, they, they get back to that maybe a little more easy because they know the, how achievable it is. For sure. It's like everyone can do it. Um, it's just a matter of do you, it's like your thoughts again. It's like, do you believe you can do it? hundred percent. So like sports teaches you about obviously motivating yourself you know, having the confidence to believe in yourself because you got to be the best kind of player to make it to that next level, right? Personal growth. And the thing is, one thing that sports taught me was sacrifice. When I was training, I was training, I was eating right. I wasn't partying. I was focused on on the sport 100%. And, you know, you can ask people that I, I went to school with. There was a lot of times that, you know, people would go out, they would ask me to come out, but I wouldn't go out. It was like a, a thing if I showed up somewhere because I never really came out. I was just kept to myself because I wanted to, to sleep early so I could wake up and try and, you know, go to the gym or something like that. And I think that when I moved into the whole marketing world and I started working in the, the corporate world, I kind of wanted to figure out a way of how I could connect with people and kind of push them towards their dreams. And obviously with the premise that, you know, you have to hustle, you have to work hard or, you know, dreams are just dreams if you don't actually put in the work. So when I first came into the corporate world, I was working for a telecom company and I was kind of there, but you know, it was, it was like, Oh, this is okay. Good is good enough kind of mentality, but I wasn't really fully satisfied with the job, but it was my first job at a university. You know, you need the experience because other jobs want this kind of experience. So the whole time I was trying to think of, well, how can I outside of this do this motivational kind of work, kind of connect with people that are thinking like me, if I can help push them towards where they want to go. So originally I had started a blog that I was doing, you know, writing on and I called it inspire the market and I wanted to, you know, inspire the masses of people. So I started a blog, I started a mini Instagram account and I was running with that. And then, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of writing and, and the only reason I'm actually into writing is my mom's an English teacher and she used to sit me down when I was a kid and make me edit my essays and make me fix them so that they were almost perfect. She would teach me the grammar. She would, I actually hated it when I was a kid. I just wanted to, to be playing soccer or something else, but she knew that it was going to be a skill that was going to help me later in life and whatever I was going to do. It's so real. So, it's so true. yeah, I know, you know, from your own experience, because you got your own blog and, and writing going on. So it's, it's a really powerful thing to have. Yeah. Having those written communication abilities, I didn't really realize how much just writing and I just wrote at first to build up my resume 
And that's what got me into the digital world. I learned how to make a website and I looked at it and I was like, this is cool. I like this stuff. It's really interesting. But it spills over into everything else. Written communication abilities. For sure. Sorry, I'm on a tangent a bit. Nah, I'll, let you get, I'll let you finish your story. <laughs> it's okay. That's good. Yeah, I like that we connect on the whole writing aspect of it as well. And so while I was doing this this blog, I was working at this company. And then something happened at this company that, you know, pe- some people don't ever experience. Some people experience it at bad times of their life. I actually thought it was the perfect time for it to happen for me. So I'm sitting in in the cubicle and I've been working at this place for, you know, just over a year. And one of the managers or executives comes up to me and kind of whispers in my ear, like, you got to go to the boardroom in like 10 minutes. So I'm kind of like, what, what's happening here? Like, why do I have to go to the boardroom? This is not even my direct manager. I don't even, I see this person, but I don't really deal with them on a daily basis. Why are they telling me to go to the boardroom? And I see them kind of walking around. They're telling other people. You know, I don't hear them, but they're talking to other people. I feel like they're telling them the same thing. So a few minutes go by, I walk to the boardroom. I walk into this room and I see like 30, 35 people like crammed into this room, in this boardroom. People that are from different departments, people that I've never really connected with or worked with because it was a bigger company. Um, And then we're all sitting in there kind of, people are kind of chatting a little bit, kind of figuring out what's going on. And then out of nowhere, the president of the company walks in. He walks to the front of the room. He's As he walks to the front of the room, I'll never forget, he's he's staring at the ground. And the whole room goes silent. I've never heard that amount of silent in my life. It was just like everyone was like, what is happening right now? They were all thinking it, but nobody wanted to say anything. And I think kind of we all kind of knew what was happening at this point, but nobody really wanted to believe it maybe because this company especially had a great culture. They, they promoted, you know, well-being in in the workplace and all that kind of stuff and a lot of people were friends of this company so it was kind of it was a little tense moment and the president then addressed everyone and basically said that unfortunately as of right now this was going to be your last moment working for the company because they were having financial difficulties and they were going to have to let us all go as of right now it wasn't like, you know, you can finish the day. It was like, yeah, your job is over the second you walk out of this room. He, Whoa. He, yeah. So, and he, you know, he was compassionate. You could see that it was hurting him to have to do this. Um, but when I looked around the room, I was the youngest guy in the room, the youngest person in the room. And I saw people twice my age that have been working at this company for seven to 10 years that were kind of just looking like up in the air and they couldn't believe what was happening right now. So for me, yeah, I I got laid off and it it was an experience. But for me, I realized, okay, this is a time in my life when thankfully it happened now. I can learn from it. And that's when I realized I always have to have something else going on so I can protect myself because you never know how the economy is going to turn. You never know what's going to happen. So, and I didn't want to be in the position where I had a family, a mortgage, you know, those kind of things. And then all of a sudden somebody just laid me off. I didn't want to leave my destiny in someone else's hands completely anymore. So as I was laid off, I kind of was just at my house hanging around. At first I was a little bit like, wow, I just lost my job. Like I don't have any money. Like, so it it, it kind of sucked. But at the same time, I was like, okay, well now I have all this time in my hands. What am I going to do with it? And that's kind of when I came up with the whole concept of Threads of Dreams, the clothing line that I was telling you about. And that's where I was like, okay, well, I want to do this whole motivational thing. I started this blog, but how can I turn it into something that actually is, you know, worth something and actually monetize what I want to do? And I was like, well, why don't I create a clothing line that actually kind of speaks towards these these motivational factors and speak towards pushing people to representing their true colors in the world? So that idea hit me and I shared it with two of my best friends and they were both on board with the concept and wanted to help build it out. So we basically spent an entire year of 2016 just building the concept of the brand, sourcing materials, how we were going to do it, you know, how we were going to brand it, what was the vision for the company long term. And then we launched it late 2016, just before Christmas and we went live with 
you know, two designs and just a small website. And then from there, we haven't looked back. We've just been trying to grow it, trying to connect with more people. And honestly, for us, the, the end goal of the company is obviously every company needs to be profitable, but it's not to, it's not to make this company something that necessarily makes, you know, millions of dollars, but it's to make it a company that actually provides value to other people and actually can help people in pushing themselves towards where they want to go. If they're, you know, down and out, can we help pick them up? If they're close to their dreams, but they feel like giving up, can we give them a little push to keep them going? Those are kind of the resonating factors behind the brand. And that's really what's kept it going today. And that's kind of how it all came about and, and how it all came to fruition, really. Awesome. Yeah, I really, I love that message in general, you know, just kind of promoting greatness and just kind of the pump up culture in, in, in every aspect of it. You know, I think we live in a really interesting world where it's funny saying this when both of us work in advertising technically, but like the media plays on everyone's insecurities. There isn't much stuff out there just boosting people, which I think is so cool to be able to spread good vibes and good energy. Um, Cause it's such a real thing, man. Like I don't care what kind of really hippie people have talked to you about energy in the past and made you think that it's like some kind of a joke, but that kind of stuff is contagious. You know, you meet people who really believe in themselves and you, you really, it rubs off on you and those people make an impact everywhere they go just because they are happy all the time. And it's not about just being falsely positive, but it's about just embracing the fact that you're capable of doing things right. For sure. And the thing is with obviously the rise of social media and all this stuff, it has a lot of benefits. Like it's allowing people to, to get out there. It's allowing people to make money selling things online and doing things that they love. But the thing is, it's also creating a culture of instant gratification. A lot of people are seeing, you know, these experts or gurus online that can teach you how to, you know, get clients and make a lot of money or how to drop ship products, for instance. You know, there's a lot of this stuff going on. And the fact is that it does work for people. But there's this misconception that it can happen overnight and that you can just come in, not know anything about it and just make a lot of money and use that money towards getting these nice cars or getting these big houses. But money's not going to fill the gaps if you're not actually happy with who you are. Yes. So that's kind of what our brand is all about. Like we have one of our most popular designs is rep your roots. And that's kind of being who you are always representing your true colors to the world, no matter what, and not worrying about the materialistic things in life. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to end up in the same place, six feet under the ground, and we can't take anything with us. The only thing we can leave behind is who we were and who we actually affected. Yes, definitely. And um, I wrote an article a couple of days ago, just really randomly, uh, and ended up actually doing really well. I, I don't even, I literally wrote it for SEO value on my website, and I posted it somewhere else, and it got a lot of traffic. But one of the things that just came to me when I was writing that was that part of mindfulness, one of the tools of mindfulness should be self-expression. And whether that's in art or in your case, your company, um, or even in fashion, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're not doing it just because you're worried about what everyone's thinking of you when you're walking down the street, not looking cool enough. But when you create things, it really remind it just reinforces who you are and it makes you you love yourself more you create more self-love and more self-acceptance by just creating the things that are inside your mind and just doing it and you also just it really gets rid of a lot of fear inside the back of your mind I know when I started writing it was like I was saying it was just a tool to level up in terms of my job and my opportunities and I started finding this really weird intense freedom of just expressing it and just like putting it out there, um, putting out my thoughts. And that's basically what this podcast has become. Uh, I started this in like July or a little bit before, I think it was about July and it was terrifying. It was literally terrifying. My first few episodes, I would have to go and calm myself down before I recorded them. Cause I was super nervous and now I'm looking forward to these when they happen. 
Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. And honestly, someone I listen to a lot and I get a lot of inspiration from is Gary Vaynerchuk. And something that he says a lot and in his messaging is that if you, whether you're an artist or whether you're a writer or what have you, if you have like a song or a piece of content or, you know, a poem or something, release it. Like, don't sit on these pieces of content that you have and be worried about what other people are going to think. Because today we're in a day and age when the market will decide. It's not like when you were an artist back in the day, it was literally a record executive that had to make a decision on you. But now you can put your content out there and the market can actually decide. You can actually generate fans. You can connect with people because of what you're doing. And if you're really doing something that you love and that you're passionate about, then people are going to connect with you and people are going to relate to that. If you're doing something that is more focused on the material objects and you're literally just trying to make money out of people for whatever reason, people will sense that. And something for me, because as you go through life, you know, you, you learn money is an important thing and you, you need it to sustain life. But for me, the most experience that changed my life in terms of actually looking at material value of things was when I was in high school, my house burned down to the ground. We lost everything. So uh, I was the last one in the house and the fire had actually started when I was in the basement or when I was upstairs, sorry, it had started in the basement and I didn't know it had started. I was just getting about my day and I ended up leaving the house, but there was actually a fire going on in the basement while I was leaving the house. And I went to school that day and as I was going on the school bus, I realized there was a bunch of fire trucks driving by, but you don't think anything of it, right? When emergency vehicles are going by, you you know, you're just like, okay, something's going on, you know? Wow. And I went to school, I was in first period, and I remember the phone rang, teacher picked it up, called me outside and said, you got to go to the principal's office. And now always when you got to go to the principal's office, it's something you're like, what did I do wrong? So I walked down to the principal's office and there's a police officer there. So now I'm like, okay, what did I do? The fact that there's a police officer and the principal here. They sit me down in the office and they basically tell me, yeah, straight up, I'm not sure if the cop had any empathy training, but he just looks at me and says, your house burned up. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, your house caught fire and it's basically, it's gone. And so we had a dog and the first question I asked is, what about my dog? And he says, I don't know. Sorry, like I'm not on the scene. I will, you know, we'll have to go check. So they end up bringing me to the house. Obviously, my parents meet me at the house and the house was like it was something out of a movie scene. Like windows were broken, like the whole house was black, burnt holes up through the walls because it came up through the walls and engulfed the entire house. And we realized that our dog was actually okay. He had created a barrier for himself in the corner of the room and kind of like ducked under it to not die from smoke inhalation and he had still inhaled smoke but he had survived so he had to go to the vet but he ended up surviving and that was basically the moment that I realized all this stuff in my house all these personal things that I have the material objects they don't really matter because it's the people in your life and and that that really matters and that's what's gonna gonna make my happiness and I don't know if I would have realized that earlier or later in life or ever in life but that happened and it kind of just triggered that for me like I don't need the nicest shoes I don't need the the best clothes I don't need any of these things I just really need you know to be grateful for being healthy being alive and having the people that I love around me Mm -hmm. that's like a forceful way to be awakened of that too for sure holy shit yeah, I, there's one thing I wanted to to touch on, but um, we were kind of talking about it a bit before, but like talking about entrepreneurship, um, you were kind of mentioning, and this is a, something I totally agree with, but there's this trend of entrepreneurship where it's glorified and there are a lot of cool benefits of it, you know, like you choose when to wake up. You can work in your own house, whatever your business might be. You're choosing, you you make all the decisions. You're, you're directly connected to the end result, but it is glorified. There is this thing where people are always told, are all kind of thinking that you can just do it. And it's funny you mentioned that because I've talked about this a bunch, but I have a lot of friends in London who 
have just decided to start businesses and they might not be working out exactly how they're hoping. And my old boss actually is a good example. I started working for him at a, uh, at a co-working space. So the thing was, it was all small business owners. And I saw for the first time how much they're all really happy because they have that direct connection to their work, but those people work their ass off. And he has, now he's starting a new tech company and I've told a couple of people about it and their response is usually, oh, he's so lucky. I can't believe he came up with that. And that's not really how it works. It's like he knows, he came up with that idea because he knows how to code because he spent hours and hours every day learning how to do all this crazy digital stuff on his own without any boss telling him what to do. You know, it's hard. It's hard to do that. And I mean, I know you probably have a lot to say about this too, but it's not always that entrepreneurship should be glorified. It's more about the lifestyle you want for yourself in my mind. That's the way I look at it. If you want, if you need that direct connection to your work and you can love the grind, then that's what entrepreneurship is about. Um, it's not about being a life hack to get rich quick or something, you know? For sure. And I think that's the problem. It's that people see these benefits of being an entrepreneur. Like they want the freedom of being able to wake up when they want, being able to work in their pajamas, being able to not have to answer to anyone. And a lot of people associate entrepreneurship with making a ton of money. And the fact of the matter is the majority of businesses in Canada are small businesses. There's not a lot of people that make it to the actual enterprise level of, you know, Mark Cuban and, you know, Damon Johns of the world and these guys that are on Shark Tank or the guys on Dragon's Den. You can make it there for sure, but you have to preface it with tons of hard work and years of dedication. It isn't something that's going to happen in a year. It's not something that's going to happen in two years. It's something that could take 15, 20 years of your life. And the fact that people just want to be an entrepreneur now because it's cool and they're throwing it in their Instagram bio just to let people know that they're an entrepreneur when they really might not have the tendencies of an entrepreneur and that's okay. But as before, back in the day, people used to look down on trying to be an entrepreneur and it was all about, you got to go to college, you got to get an education. Now people are more looking down on the fact that you got to work a nine to five and people are kind of saying, Oh, why do you work for someone else? You can go work for yourself. And that's fine. If you're happy doing what you're doing and you can make a living to sustain yourself, 100%, go and try and be an entrepreneur. But if you're trying to be an entrepreneur to make millions or billions of dollars and you just want to come up with an idea that you're not even passionate about because you're chasing the money and you're chasing the glorified fame of being an entrepreneur, then you shouldn't even try to be one because you're going to end up actually hurting yourself in the long run and you're probably going to end up losing a lot of money if, if you're not built to be an actual entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I recently have been pretty fortunate to meet through a friend of, basically they're friends of friends at this point. But, uh, so I'm not that close with them, but I have a good buddy of mine who's doing really well in film. Um, I have an episode with him actually, his name's Chris, but some of his buddies are, they're A-list Hollywood actors right now. You know, the one guy's in Homecoming with Julia Roberts, he's the co-star. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a bunch of these guys and have some conversations with them. And there's really this, even with people like that, I think there's this image that they got lucky because they're good looking people who are young and we're in the right spot. It's like those guys, I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen people who work so hard. Those dudes are on like 200%, 15 hours a day. I don't even know if they sleep more than six hours ever. Like if there's a reason people, even though they might have all those things that give them the opportunities as an actor, there's a reason people, like people who succeed are grinding for it. It's just something that you have to appreciate, you know, but exactly. It's the self-awareness of, of what you really want. Um, I'm kind of curious, like what at this point in your life is really driving you to do all the things that you're doing? You're doing a lot of cool things. Um, I'm just kind of wondering what motivates you and what's, uh, what's inspiring you these days. So what motivates me really is to honestly connect to as many people as possible and kind of spread the message that you can do what you love. And the age that we live in, the generation that we live in right now, provides so much opportunity for you to actually build that business or try and be a professional athlete or try and be a musician. 
because of all the technology, you can get out there. You can build your own personal brand and be who you want to be. But our message and my message and what drives me is wanting to let people know that it's not easy. It doesn't take just one day, one month, you know, one year. It takes the grind. You have to commit to the grind. You have to always be hustling and you have to always work hard for yourself. And if you really want it, it's not even going to feel like that much hard work. You can't wake up and be like, oh, I don't really want to do this. You have to do something that when you're working and when you're grinding towards your goals, you're actually happy about it because that's what's going to make you the most fulfillment and, you know, make sure you're the most satisfied in life. The problem is with what you said is you see these actors and a lot of people say that they're lucky, but you've never seen people that work so hard in their lives. It's true. A lot of these people want to say that people are lucky because maybe they had similar opportunities, but they didn't work hard enough. And now they're kind of regretting not taking their their opportunities and taking full control of their destiny. So they kind of want to throw some shade on other people. Mm-hmm. And it's really true. Misery needs company. So this is what some people do. And when you see those those people, you honestly just have to have empathy for them. You can't kind of argue with them. You just have to embrace the fact that maybe they miss an opportunity in their life. And maybe right now they're at a point where they're regretting not going for something that they should have. And they're taking it out on other people because they're seeing the embodiment of it in someone else. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that a, uh, a psychologist who I follow on, uh, on YouTube has mentioned many times, but... It's kind, he's kind of a psychologist who talks about the subconscious mind and reprogramming it, reprogramming it, which I guess we didn't really have time to get into in this, but that's what, what I'm all about with kind of my message is that you really can train your subconscious. That's what mindfulness is. You know, people think it's a bunch of yogis sitting in a room saying om out loud and just being chill. It's like, it's, it can be for that, but all those self-doubting thoughts that you have, the, the stories you tell yourself as to why you can't have your dreams, you, you can literally reprogram your brain to think differently. Those are programmed in at one point and they can be programmed in a different way. But, um, so people who are really successful, if you feel envy for them, this is, it takes a lot of practice to stop thinking this way. If you feel envy or you feel negativity towards their success, you're telling your subconscious mind that it's not good to have that when it is good. It's awesome to have that. The amount of freedom and, and, fulfillment it's more about for me like the personal fulfillment of knowing that you have the power to to dictate your future you know it's such a cool thing but um it's like you were saying on another note like what you were saying with trying to grind and just get rich off something that you don't even enjoy like following your intuition is so important it's like sounds a little out there to some people i it's funny i i got into this stuff through just personal growth just hardcore take ownership like tough love, personal growth. And it's connected me with a lot of more spiritual people who are kind of a mix of that where they're really spiritual, but they're really taking action because when you have both of those in the mix, it's so cool when you can understand your own intuition and what makes you so passionate and so happy and resonate with that and make sure that you're grinding, but you're doing it following your gut of the things that you really love and that you know are going to get you somewhere that you like, you like the, the looks of. It's such a powerful thing to kind of blend those two things. But I don't even think that it's possible to grind, to truly grind in something that you hate. You can be grinding, but your quality of your output is never going to be what it needs to be. For sure. You know, that's the way I look at it. No, 100%. You got to really just chase something that makes you happy and not the end result of what could come from this business or what could come from you being an athlete at this level. You have to really commit to the journey because the journey is actually everything and when you look at people like you mentioned earlier you know some people look at people with envy or negativity because those people are maybe at a spot where they want to be or or they want it to be at one point in their lives I like to think of looking at those people as they were just like me they were just like anyone else and they made it they're providing a path for us and others to get there so they're an example of someone who started just like me or just like anyone else and the ability to get there is there. So it's it's showing me that there's actually a path to get to where you want to go. Somebody's already done it. So there's an example of success and you can actually replicate it if you actually work towards something that you love and you just grind. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And it's so true. That's why surround yourself with awesome people because it shows you that you can kind of be awesome also. Such a real thing. Definitely. Um, Cool. I think that's a pretty good note to end it on. But before we stop, I figured I'll just give you the chance to to mention how people can connect with you or where they can find you online and, and whatnot. For sure. So you can find Threads of Dreams online at, at Threads of Dreams uh, on Instagram. And you can find us at www.threadsofdreams.com. You can check out all of our gear, all of our branding and what we're trying to promote with our messaging. And, you know, if you'd like to send us a message, we'd, we'd love to connect with you and talk more about our brand and love to show you some of our products as well. And I'd like to thank you, Sean, for having me on this podcast. It's been a great one. And I really appreciate, you know, this conversation and I really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I think this turned out super good and definitely everyone check out the website. They're up to some really cool stuff. So I would recommend it.